Let's just pray for a few moments here. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just thank you tonight, Lord, because your word is indeed a lamp to our feet and it is indeed a light to our path. And Lord, we admit tonight, Lord, that often it can be an arrow to our heart. And yet, Lord, even in the midst of that, we know, Lord, it's a wonderful balm to the soul and mind. Lord, as we sang tonight, Lord, that we would have ears to hear. And Lord, it's possible to hear, but not hear. And yet tonight, Lord, I pray for a divine connection uh, between the speaker and the hearer. Lord, I just want to give you the glory tonight, Lord. I just pray, Lord, as I hide behind the cross tonight, Lord, I pray that you'll use these lips of clay tonight, Lord. And Father, you'll, you'll work amongst us, Holy Ghost, tonight in this place, Lord. Amongst believers and amongst those that don't know you yet, Lord, I pray for a great work of conviction in this place tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, we're just careful to give you the glory. Lord, we've always said from the onset, Lord, we don't want any names or any titles of places, Lord. But we just want people to know that this is the house of the Lord. We just want people to know, Lord, that Jesus Christ reigns and rules within this church in Ballinahinch. So, Lord, we just thank you for that tonight. Show yourself strong amongst us tonight, Lord, as we look at your word afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, folks, just turn with me just for a, a few moments to uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. We, we're going to have a fresh look at Zacchaeus tonight. Um, it's probably one of the best well-known um, stories in the Bible. Uh, even the kids sing a song about it. But I just had that thought tonight. We're just going to take the little tea bag and squeeze it a little bit more and have a fresh look at Zacchaeus tonight with a gospel message. So we'll just read through these verses first. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day, everyone say this day, this day salvation come to this house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek, and to save that which is lost. You know, folks, we all got out of bed this morning. And none of us know or knew when we got out of bed this morning what the day would behold for any one of us. The exception is that for those in Christ tonight, no matter whether our day is a valley or a mountaintop in Christ today, we know we have a great hope in Christ. We know where we're going. Should anything happen today, we're going to be with him in glory. And yet tonight, ladies and gentlemen, if you're amongst us tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have that certainty. You've got up this morning. Your head may be full of many different things, but you're lost. 
You're lost to an eternity without Christ. You may not know it because your lives are so busy. Busy with families. Busy with work. Busy with making money. Busy with having babies. Busy with going on holiday. The list is endless. But you're lost. And yet for the believer this morning waking up. Every morning I go to work I just say Lord this is your day. This is your day. Help me by faith. Walk for your glory. It's just simple as that, Lord, every day. Lord, it's your day. Let me walk because, you know, folks, it's an adventure. It's exciting. You know, it's not a mediocre life, this Christianity. But every morning we wake up and we say, Lord, have your way by faith this morning that you would take glory. But society will awaken. Those outside of Christ will awaken to a whole new picture today. You know, you may wake up, even as a believer today, to a boring job. But you may have a boring job, but you're not boring. Is that true? You may wake up to a boring job, but as a believer, you're far from boring. You know, when we called down to Lisbon for an open air, just there recently, one Tuesday there, and uh, this is how I pray just before we go down to Lisbon. I say, Lord, somebody this morning has gotten up out of bed and is heading into Lisbon to Bow Street Mall. That's how I pray. And they don't know. They're going to come along there and they're going to see maybe a few on their eyes and oddballs in the street preaching the gospel. It wasn't their plan to hear the gospel, but it was God's plan to hear the gospel. I thank God for that. I remember one day I was just uh, praying in the mall and different people were speaking. And I, I seen this guy and he, he sort of had the world on his shoulders. He was coming right down the mall and up to Easton's. I just felt led by the spirit of God to just step out. And just talked to him. And he seemed to have his head in the sky as he was walking. And I just introduced myself to him. And I said, look, you seem a bit like concerned here. Do you mind if I can help? And he was a believer. And he said, you would not believe it. He said, I'm walking along here with the world on my shoulder. Because it can be like that for believers sometimes. And he said, I need to make a decision. And I'm crying out to God. Walking past Greens and walking past Samuels, the jewelers. And I'm saying, God, send somebody. Send somebody to give me an answer. And I said, well, I'm not saying I'm the answer, but maybe we can pray. And he had a major, major financial issue. So we just huddled into a corner there and we prayed. Never seen him again. Never seen him again. But that's just the way it happens. We should be expecting that. So when we look at our scripture tonight, we see probably for Zacchaeus, it was probably just another day. When he woke that morning before Jesus came into the village, it just seemed to be another day. He was probably thinking about everything but Jesus. He was probably thinking about how much money he was going to make, how much he could extortion someone into making more money. And it's one thing he hadn't planned, that that day Jesus would enter into the city of Jericho and his life would be changed. That's what we should expect every day. So let's just have a quick look at some of these verses. Verse 1, it says, Jesus entered and pass through Jericho. Sometimes as a preacher, sometimes as we study these things, and some of the preachers in here probably agree with me, but sometimes it's hard to get beyond the initial verses. Sometimes I found verse 1 so profound. There's just something profound about that verse, entered and passed through. And you know, when we read the scriptures, um, you know, we shouldn't be robotic in our reading. You know, we shouldn't just open our Bible every day and go, and Jesus entered a bathroom, there you go, and then and then published, and he started to see Jesus, and he was little and sat, and he ran before him, climbed the second tree. Right, I've read my reading today, 
and now I'm going to work. Do you understand what I'm saying? But sometimes it's just with that heart and with that tenderness, we, we want to learn, we're thirsty, and we want to hear something. And just as I was reading verse 1, I was just thinking there that Jesus entered and passed through. It, it goes from Jericho and it comes right into our personal lives. And many Christians here can testify to the day when Jesus entered into our lives and passed through and we responded to the call of the gospel. You see, the gospels, when we look through them, they're absolutely loaded with situations when Jesus arrived on the scene and lives were changed. Shared it the other night. Luke 7, verse 11, when Jesus was coming into the city of Nain. And you picture that situation. There's a widow woman. She just lost her son. In those days, there was no social security. She was completely dependent on their only child for upkeep. All these mourners are often recruited in Jewish times to mourn and wail. That's why Jesus often put them out. He put them out so he could go in and pray. You know, there's a sermon in that alone. So, so what happened is, is Jesus, he's just coming in, it says, to the gates of the city. And he sees a widow woman. And she's pouring her heart out. And you can see everything going on. And yet she didn't expect that moment that Jesus was going to arrive on the scene. And he went up like Jesus does, tenderly, tenderly. And he says, weep not. Weep not. She must have looked at him. But weep not. And he, he said he put his hand on that coffin. And he said to that wee lad, he said, and he was dead, he said, young man, arise. And it says, he, listen, he who was dead sat up. He who was dead sat up and everything changed. Everything changed. We find the same situation in Mark 10, 46 with blind Bartimaeus. He's hearing something, but he cannot see. He's hearing something. And then all of a sudden he makes that cry, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd is saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But there's a desperation in Bartimaeus. He's saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And it says, Jesus stood still. It's possible tonight, in your heart, if you're in a place where you're broken and you're seeking a meaning to life, it's possible through that cry that Jesus can stand still. And be ready to answer the cry of your heart. I was thinking way back on the 8th of June, 91, we were in a little tiny community centre in the north of England and it was linked to the Billy Graham mission in Scotland. And we were there, it was a Saturday evening. And I remember that night the Holy Spirit passed through that community centre and touched my life and touched Jude's life around about 8 o'clock. It happened just as simple as that. The conviction of sin came. I, I, saw, I didn't say I saw Jesus but there was a great impression in my heart that night that I was a sinner. He showed me my life. He showed me the clean side that he was going to do because of his blood. And I responded that night, the 8th of June, 1991, that Jesus changed my life all those years ago. I not had a perfect life, but that night he changed my life. Praise the Lord. But you know, it's also somber. It's a somber verse because it will be the last time. Jesus enters Jericho, the very last time. Because scripture shows us quite clearly that he was heading up to Jerusalem to be crucified. And you know, you may have sat under the gospel a long time. I know we get people coming and going and they come and go and they're searching and they're looking. And maybe some people here tonight think they're saved, but they're not saved. 
But they come and they listen, they come and they listen, they come and friends have pleaded. And it goes on and on and on and on. But let me tell you something tonight, folks, with the greatest of love and passion for your soul. That even Jesus at some point was not going to return. He was going to move on from Jericho. And here's a challenge tonight. If you know not Christ in this place, swallow your pride and climb the tree with Zacchaeus tonight. So as we move on, verse 2 and 3, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not press because he was little stature. So what do we know about Zacchaeus tonight? Well, first of all, we know he was, he was a very, very rich chief tax collector. Listen, folks, tonight, are you one of those people that you do everything possible to be liked? Do you have one of them personalities that you go through life and you don't like to offend anybody? You know, you always try and stay on the good side of everybody. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, 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 you're frightened of, uh, you're frightened of what people might think about you and that. Well, you know, if you're like that tonight, there's some occupations you need to avoid. <laughs> Is that not true? You see, I wasn't blessed to be brought up as a believer. And I know since coming to Northern Ireland, there's an awful lot of young believers. But I love my mum and dad. Like, I miss my mum and dad, and we weren't believers. But we had a great family. I was the youngest of four sons. And we had a, an amazing upbringing and it was very special, and the Lord saved me as well as I, in, in my 20s. But in the 70s and 80s, I used to, and the reason I'm telling you this is because it's something to do with a Sunday night. On a Sunday evening, I used to love to listen to Top of the Pops and the Top 40. Like, I used to really love that sort of stuff, you know. And especially when it got down to the Top 10, and then... The top three. I can hear some people laughing there tonight. Imagine just for a moment a top three for the most public-hated occupations. Now, you might disagree, but number three, the policeman with the speed gun. Just come to Lisbon and you'll see. Number two, and I think it's a close number two to number one, but Zacchaeus was a tax collector, so I have to give him number one, you know that. But in my eyes, number two was probably the worst. And that's a traffic warden. <laughs> and you know, jokingly, when I, I looked at the I love looking at the original Greek, you know, when you look at the original Greek for traffic warden, <laughs> it actually means fallen angel. <laughs> now the reason I say that is because they do have a habit of materializing out of nowhere. <laughs> Like, if you're ever in Hillsborough, I don't know how he appears out of that alley when five minutes ago he was down the road. But I do believe traffic wardens can be saved. And I'm... <laughs> what? <laughs> My word. This is supposed to be a serious gospel tonight. I think you need to fast and pray and get a heart for the traffic warden. Maybe, where's Tim? He's gone. Maybe, Tim, we need a ministry for the traffic warden. But it used to go something like this at 7 o'clock, 5 to 7, countdown. And at number one, for the sixth week, the tax man. You see, Jericho in those days did not reflect the modern tax system we have today. Believe me, 
Like I cut my teeth in the Inland Revenue for a number of years, although I enjoyed the football more than the tax. But we have to get confused also with the Jewish authorities of the day because historians tell us that they distributed the burden of tax easily and effectively. No, I'm talking about the Roman tax. I'm talking about the Roman occupation of Israel. So for us to understand just for a few moments how vile Zacchaeus was, we need to understand something of the system he belonged to. Because it's only then that we appreciate God's amazing grace towards him. And then if we just fast forward that to every life in here tonight, it's only when we've been delivered that we can appreciate God's amazing grace, even for our own life. You see, Israel was under Roman occupation at the time of Jesus. It was cruel. It was relentless. And the tax system literally battered everybody who lived in that place. And one of the reasons for that was that in the time of Christ, there was a financial crisis in Rome. So there was an extra burden. So Zacchaeus, because of his position, he would have paid the privilege for the privilege of being a tax collector. He bought into the system. So when he paid Rome's portion, he was still left to make a killing. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a couple of things we have to note about how he would have lived his life. First of all, what he would have done if you owned a property, he would have took your property and he would have given it a value far higher than what it was worth. So then he could draw more tax from that. Secondly, another trick that he would have done, and it's, histor it's in history, what he would have done is he would have advanced payment to somebody who wouldn't be able to pay the tax bill, therefore bringing in excessive and abusive rates. So that person was never, ever out of debt. That's the type of guy he was. And remember when John the Baptist was at the River Jordan, remember when he said to the publicans, he said, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Remember that. It's strange when you look through the Gospels, it's amazing how much of that relates to tax. Even the census was an issue for taxation. Now, isn't it amazing how people view our lives so differently? This is how Rome described a publican. The flower of knighthood. The ornament of the state. The strength of the republic. Or as the most upright and respected of men. Yet look at the contrast here of the attitude of the Jewish rabbis towards the publicans, incapable of bearing testimony in a Jewish court of law, forbidden to receive from them charitable gifts, even to change money out of the treasury. They were ranked with harlots, heathens, highwaymen, and murderers. And finally, they were excommunicated from religious services. You see, when your life is amongst bad company. Your bedfellows seem so sweet. That voice in your mind says that it's okay to live as you are. This is something that, you know, when we're in a particular type of company, say, for example, one Saturday, I know Brian, one or two of the lads know about this, but there's a particular man who would sit on the bench and listen sometimes to what we have to say and 
and we've witnessed to him many times and he drinks a lot and he's just really in a mess and we've been praying for him for a long time. And one day he took a seizure outside Eason's and I remember that we went to see to him and called an ambulance and everything like that. And this is exactly what happened. Out of everywhere, out of every alley, all his mates descended on him, all the drinkers, to comfort him and to be with him and reassure him. Now, that's not a bad thing when I say that. But often we just attract the same company, don't we? You know, bad company does corrupt. We know that. And it's amazing that one person can think of us in one way and one person can think of us in another way. But in the midst of those two, there's truth, isn't there? We tend to gravitate towards those we are comfortable with, even in the church. We do that if the truth be known. And we also gravitate towards the things that alleviate pain. The pain of life. Yet there's another voice from those who really love you. It could be a broken mother. Not so much like the condemnation of the Pharisees, because there's still plenty of those about, but the voice of love. You know, there's a voice of love. There's a voice of truth, and it can be painful. God is love. The gospel is love. But the devil says, I pay good wages. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus says to the hurting and to the broken, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Secondly, when we just look at these few verses here, it says he was little in stature. You know, in those days there was no mobile phones, but he knew all about SMS. So I'll just say that again. There was no mobile phones, but he knew all about SMS, short man syndrome. It's usually associated with power to compensate for height. That's what that means. Historians say that Zacchaeus could have managed over 12,000 tax collectors in Jericho because it was known to be very profitable because of the balm trade. So since God created Zacchaeus in his body, physically, the DNA, I was just thinking about it, the DNA in him fixed him so small that a day come that the only way he could see Jesus was he had to climb a tree because God's still in control. But notice in that verse he says, notice how he sought to see Jesus. You know, just as I studied those verses, it, it's maybe, you know, what, what, happened, what was happening with Zacchaeus at that time? Maybe he was just coming out of curiosity. Surely over the last three years as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, that there's a lot of word going about about Jesus, this famous traveling rabbi. You know, this idea of a curiosity. And Zechariah tells us we shouldn't despise the day of small things. Whether it's curiosity, whether it's just a sling with five stones, you know, whether it's just a little drop of oil, maybe it's just a tear of a baby. Remember when Pharaoh's daughter lifted the lid off the ark and there's Moses and he cried? Maybe just a tear of a baby was the beginning of something. Just curiosity. And, you know, in his own mind, he was probably thinking, well, I'm wealthy, I have power. 
I've basically seen and done it. But lying in bed on a night, I wonder with Zacchaeus, lying in bed on a night, maybe what was passing through his mind was that although he was the most hated in Jericho, he was probably the most empty. Have you come tonight because you're curious about this Jesus thing? You know, are you here tonight because you're curious about this church? You know, you may be self-made. You might be broke here tonight. Yet there may be things in your heart tonight where if people only knew they would be disgusted. And the question is, I'm curious, can this really Jesus make a big difference to me? Can he give me meaning and purpose to life? So you can see the scene. You know, sometimes we, when we get into the Gospels, we've got, to, we've got to be there. Do you know what I mean? It's all right just reading it, but sometimes we have to be there. So imagine as Jesus is coming in and, and Zacchaeus trying to push through, get a glimpse. It's likely probably that he had bodyguards. I'm sure because, because of the way he was, he must have been a candidate for assassination or abduction. I mean, surely, if we're living it here and we, we know that type of, that's what he is. He's fleecing us, fleecing us every day, valuing our properties excessively, drawing tax on that. You know, we can't pay the tax bill, so he's lending us money. We're never out of debt, thousand percent interest rates. And we've seen him coming along the street, and I'm the husband, and my wife and children are there, and I'm thinking, if I had a knife, I'd probably run him through. That's the way I probably would feel about it. He must have had someone just keeping an eye on him as he was going through. I'm sure his back was covered in spittle. Do you remember, as he passed people going, they're giving him the biggest spittle they could. I know it sounds awful, but he was hated. There may be someone in here tonight, like who's just in such a place, they've, they've, they've brought such much pain and hurt. You know, they're hated. Like, listen, listen me out here. I, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share this. But you see, Jude's brother... Talk about a loving mother, you know. But as I was caught in Jude, like Jude's brother was a nightmare. Like he punched doors through. He was such a violent man. One, one night he came out with a with a sword, a samurai sword at the door, and the police were there with sticks and the dogs were there. And I said to him, because I would talk to him about the Lord, you know. And I said to him, Steve, you know, the Lord wouldn't want you to do that. And he got the sword and he threw it down, but he took him to jail. Right? His mother wept over him. He punched Jude. You know, he had some little kids, and if you disciplined them, he'd come and be very violent. You know, he was nasty. He kicked the police van. Call yourself a Christian. Kick, kicking out the van. Like, let me tell you. And then he'd be up on the roof near the chimney breast and wouldn't come down. And, and he was he was awful. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying there's people like that in here tonight, by the way, because we need to check your pockets. <laughs> but do you understand? Sometimes. You know, when you're in the crowd of drinkers and the drugs and you're the best mate and everything and he went to the pubs and he had, a, he had a small company. But to everyone else, he was a nasty bit of work. And Zacchaeus was a nasty bit of work. And we, we need the heart of God when we're dealing with people who are a nasty bit of work. I, I can't love them without Christ's love. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the heart for the church, isn't it? The worst Yet curiosity, curiosity pushed him. His opportunity was a tree. And he climbed the tree. 
And it says in verse 4, And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, it was a great wee book, Alexander White. He wrote an amazing book on Bible characters. And he says in there about Zacchaeus that he was like a young schoolboy who would go to any length to get a glimpse. It's sometimes the simple childlike things that touch the father's heart, isn't it? Curiosity and simplicity, he said, are a sort of preparation for faith. Let me just say that again. Curiosity, simplicity are a preparation for faith. It it has to start somewhere. Like, I could maybe chat with you all tonight and say, where did it begin with you, Dave? Where did it begin with you, Paula? Where, Where was the stimulation? Where was the first initial with me? My mom was seriously ill when I was 11, and I was not from a religious family, never knew anything about the gospel. But I got on my knees, and I thought she was going to die. She would have died. I got down on my knees, and I said, God, if you save, heal my mom, I'll serve you. Like, I didn't even know. I didn't know anything about the gospel. I never knew anything about the cross. And, the, and to be honest with you, the doctors did some work there, and she recovered and lived till she was 70. But from the age of 11 to 27... I thought I had a great debt to owe God. I didn't understand it. From a Roman Catholic background mainly, probably that idea of works, probably that idea of trying to please God, I had no understanding of it. That's why it's important we talk to people about the gospel. Because until, until 27 years of age, I had never heard a presentation of the gospel. Why he kept me 16 years, it's not for me to ask. I remember the day the Queen passed through our neighbourhood And I remember Jocelyn for position just to see you for a few seconds. In your present situation, would you climb a tree for Jesus? It may not be a physical one, but I know of a woman. And you see, she she said, if I could just touch him, I'll be made whole. If I could just touch him, I'll be made whole. And then I remember a church, this one, who got hold of the Lord over a brother called Stephen. I wouldn't take no for an answer. And tonight we have a testimony of a miracle. And tonight he's sharing that miracle in Lan. Hallelujah. What I'm saying tonight, folks, is if you don't know the Lord tonight in this place, you don't need to climb a tree. But the cry has to be, I must see Jesus tonight. So verse 5, And when Zacchaeus came to this place, he looked up and saw him and said unto Zacchaeus, Make haste. And come down for day, I must abide at thy house. It just amazes me, you know, when you look at that picture of the thronging in the streets, the windows were probably bulging, the rooftops were bulging, and I would say there was probably other trees where people were up the trees, you know. There was, there was, it's just absolutely an amazing event that was going on in Jericho that day. Today, I do believe we'd have probably a social media meltdown. You know, there just wouldn't be enough bandwidth to keep an eye on that thing. But just that revelation came to me just as I was thinking about that. You know, people would probably be running around trying to get a selfie with Jesus. You know, that's the day we live in, isn't it? People just run around saying, Jesus, get on that. With the greatest respect, that's what people would do. But people don't need a selfie, they need salvation. That's what they need. They need salvation. So Jesus looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. You know, religious people and selfish people don't ever look up. 
They're just too starchy. Do you know starch? They put that on the collars to make it stiff. Starchy, stiff, stiff people. They never really look up. They only look down and they're moaning and groaning and going on and on and saying, well, what? he needs a job and, you know, and uh, let me just think. Where, oh, His mother never brought him up like that and they mourn, 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 mourn. Never put anything positive in anybody's life. So religious people really wouldn't have even, or even anybody, selfishly, they wouldn't just be interested in a man up a tree. But the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, he's going through all this throng of people, and then he looks up just in that place and sees Zacchaeus. You know, just mark this down. Whenever Jesus calls a person by name, you know something's about to happen. Remember Lazarus. Remember Saul of Tarsus. You know, about two weeks ago on Monday, a friend of mine died. And I had the privilege of leading him to Christ over 20 years ago. He died, John, John O'Sullivan. He was just short of his 80th birthday. Let me tell you what happened with John. And I've never seen that repeated all the time I've been ministering on the streets. But we were out in the coach and we were out in a shopping precinct and there was a group of us and we were mixing with people. And I seen this man coming down the precinct and I'm not saying that was an audible voice. But I, I, I had, I'm telling you now, I had an impression on my heart and I felt the Lord say to me, that man's going to be saved today. That's exactly how it came. I don't think I've really ever had that experience before like that. And the girl, one of the girls next to me, Christine, she must have got a word of knowledge. And she said to me, Andy, his name's John. And she didn't even know him. So we were armed and ready. We knew he was going to be saved. And his name was John. So as he'd come along with all this shopping, we just inter introduced ourselves and we took him on the, on the coach. And he came to know the Lord. And that was in the, in the 90s, let me tell you. And he's just with the Lord now in glory. There's something that when Jesus calls a person by name, something is about to happen. I was thinking about a title for the sermon tonight, and there was a number of titles. To go up, you must first come down. A good tree produces good fruit. When salvation comes to your house, Jesus still seeking to save the lost. And this is the one I nearly stuck with. A wee crooked man becomes straight. But this touched me. This really touched me. And that's why I got Paula to sing that tonight. He knows your name. He knows your name. He looked up at that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, he knows our name. When we come to the Lord, he knows our name. And you know, tonight, if you're in this place and you know not him, he knows your name. He longs to draw you in to that place. Here he is, listen closely. Hear him calling out your name. Hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him. You will never be the same. But notice a contrast here. Bartimaeus said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, Jesus, stop still. And yet Zacchaeus says nothing. He says absolutely nothing. And yet Jesus stops. 
just as I was praying through this, there was just that sense that, you know, there's a cry even when it's not spoken. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? There's an intimacy there that if you're broken inside tonight and you're longing for purpose, he knows about that, doesn't he? He knew all about Zacchaeus. He knew all about his corruptness. But he wanted him to come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed tonight by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Or come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, folks, he knows us intimately tonight. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice one thing that Zacchaeus did not say. He didn't say, get down, you horrible sinner. You notice that? Sometimes we're good at that, aren't we? We're good at labeling people. It's sort of that brashness sometimes we have even in Northern Ireland, you know. You're a sinner. He said, no, come down today. I'm going to abide in your house. I just, there's a wee older lady on one of the duties where I deliver the mail, and she's just a really godly woman. It's just good to be amongst some people that actually show an interest in what's going on and commit to pray for you. And this old dear, she's a really lovely, lovely, really godly woman. And she was asking how we were getting on in Drummoness and different things like that. And, uh, and she said to me, she said something like this, go easy, build some relationships, show people you care. You see, on the door... All the people in the team have a bit of testimony. But I remember the night, you know, we were talking to that wee pensioner, and she was maybe in her 70s, and uh, she had seven children, and she was weeping her heart out on the door, broken over things that had happened a long, long time ago, of a wee baby in a pram that had caught fire and burnt half the face off the baby, and then later to go on to see the tragedy of what happened with that son, and then... One of the sons got killed on the road and she was just broken. But because we were there, we, we spent some time with her and we were just talking about the love of Jesus to her. You know, she, was, she began to become more welcome with us. And then there was a lady I know I visited with Eleanor there the other night again. She was a lady who came to the door with gloves. And I thought she was just doing a bit of cleaning. And I said to her, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, you know. She looked like she had the hoover out or something. But the reason she had the gloves on is her hands were absolutely pickled with a skin infection. So we just took advantage of the time there and we ministered to her and laid hands on her and prayed. And we met up with her on Tuesday night. And I'm telling you, you know, when she took them gloves off, they were definitely like 90% better than what they were. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we, we might get to that door and we say, look, you're a horrible sinner. Like, you know I mean, straight away we've lost somebody, haven't we? Sometimes it's, you know, we look at Jesus all the time as a model for witness. He, he was easy to get round a well with a woman and talk about things with her, the natural side, knowing all the time that he was the well. He was the well to drink from. But this is powerful in verse 5. It's the only case in the Bible where Jesus offers himself uninvited. It's profound. It really spoke to me. See, to the church of Laodicea, he stands at the door and knocks. But with Zacchaeus, he just comes straight in, uninvited. Now this is going to maybe shake your thinking up a little bit. Because sometimes we talk like this. 
Oh, he'll never force his way in. Have you heard that one? He won't offend you. He won't spoil your little wee tea party. But just invite him into your heart when you're ready. You know, that's, the, that's the modern gospel. Just when you're ready, you can come to the Lord. Just when you're ready, you can come to the Lord. I'm not sure really where all that comes from. But Jesus, according to the word here tonight, has just offered himself uninvited to Zacchaeus' house. And maybe tonight, folks, that's the only way we'll receive him. It's got really old to me tonight. Jesus, come uninvited. Lord, crash into my family circumstances tonight. Lord, crash into our community tonight. Now that really blows my mind. Why don't we pray that before we close tonight? Because I think what that really is is revival. That he'll come and often uninvited. When he comes uninvited, there's going to be amazing changes in the church. And it says in verse 6, And he made haste and come down and received him joyfully. You know, instant obedience is what the Lord expects of us. But I'm sure for Zacchaeus it was still a shock and surprise. Remember, he got up that morning. It was just another day. And did he realize by that certain time in the day that the Lord Jesus Christ himself was uninviting himself into his home? It was a shock. You can imagine Zacchaeus something like, who, me? Who, me? Are we surprised sometimes when God does something? So verse 7 says, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. You know, folks, nothing really ever changes. It's still the starch. That's still the killer, isn't it? The starchy people. And we've touched on that already. But you know, tonight, we are to look for the worst. You know, Howell Harris did that in his book, Intercessor. It's Jude's favorite book, by the way. He looked for the ringleaders. He looked for the worst, and we also look for the weak and the lonely. Nobody else wants them, you know, but Jesus does. This morning, glory to God, I'm just out very early this morning having a dander up the park, just thinking about what I'm doing tonight, and I'm just, it's just the same prayer, Lord, it's your day, um, it's your day by faith, I'm just walking this day for your glory. And I see this man coming, walking towards us. I've seen him many times. He dresses in a full suit. And he has a big shopping bag. And it was 7 o'clock this morning. And he's walking through the park like this with his shopping bags. And he has the same suit on. And I've seen him a number of times. And it's always been, hello, how are you doing and stuff. So today I just felt led to really engage with him. Just at the park at 7 o'clock. So like Jesus did round the well. He talked about a few things. So he, he just got taught. He loved cricket. He played cricket. And then one day he took an injury and that was him finished. And I told him I used to play football. And I realized when I, I was a goalkeeper. And when I started letting goals in, I realized my eyesight was shot. And that's why I wear glasses. So we had a little bit of a laugh about that. And then I talked, we shared about a couple of things. And then I could see he was wanting to be away. And as he went away, this is exactly what happened this morning. He went away and then he turned back and he said, Do you know, he said, I have two Mormon missionary girls visit me at home. And I thought, well, why has he said that? And I took him by the arm and I said, you need to be careful. Not just because of two girls in your home, 
but I'm telling you, and it gave me a platform to minister to him. And I said, you see all that? It's a system. You see all that? Islam, it's all a system. Hinduism, it's all a system. But Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And at that, I think he really wanted to go and watch the cricket. <laughs> so, and I just leant over and I said to him, we'll speak again. And that's seven o'clock in Hillsborough Park, a small man with a full suit on and two shopping bags. And, you know, I, I just implore you, I just implore you that every day you wake up, you just ask the Lord for the opportunities. And I, I was wondering there, uh, because I do believe that the church is going through a quickening. There seems to be a fresh heart for mission. Not that we've never been interested in mission, but just lately there's been a quickening. And I was saying to the Lord, Lord, is this what you're doing? And sometimes I felt the Lord say to me, I'm always doing it. It's just you need to rise up to it. It's already there because the fields are already white under harvest. He says, Jesus says, already white under harvest. Not four months now. The ready. And I think this is a challenge for believers tonight that with Anna Hill coming up as well, you know, we have an opportunity to rise up to the opportunity before us instead of waiting for God to come down and shake us a little wee bit there. But nobody wants them. We're to look for the worst, we'll look for the weak. And if you were honest with me tonight, if we just step back for a moment and considered being in a community with a man like Zacchaeus, it would take a lot of us to do something about that, wouldn't it? We, we, we tempted to maybe stay away. Because the scripture tells us the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And you know tonight, folks, if you're not saved in here, that's you tonight. So, just as we close with these last few verses, what's the evidence of a changed life? It says in verses 8 and 9, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. It's just, you know, behold, Lord. He's gone from being like, like a demonized, hated man to the revelation that he is the Lord. It just reminds me of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, you know, when he's humbled. And what does he say? He says, who art thou, Lord? Coming into the recognition that he's Jesus. And Zacchaeus says, half of my goods I give to the poor. You can just imagine when he gets that revelation, that brokenness, that restitution, that salvation, when all that comes flooding into his life. You know, you've got to be looking at Jericho and say, watch out, because all of a sudden he's going to do a runner around the poor. And I was thinking there tonight, maybe it would have been called the Zach Fund. Maybe you can picture him initially because of, of the nature of getting right with Christ, that he wants to run around and he's looking at somebody and saying, what's your name? He opens a book and he says, oh yes, I fleeced you. And now I'm going to give you that back fourfold. And then he sees a beggar in the streets with no shoes and everything. And he runs up to him and he says, right, we'll get that sorted. You can see that. But he couldn't have done it on his own. Because he must have been worth millions. He, he must have been in a place where when he got the revelation. That that's the evidence of the fruit of repentance. Restitution. Isn't it? Repentance. Sins forgiven. Restitution. Fruits of repentance. He was a new creature. 
And listen, when we just look at that verse, something that we easily miss. Salvation had come to this house. Notice the word, this house, and not his house. This house. And I know it's preacher's license, but to me it has tones of the Philippian jail. And I'll tell you why. If we're we're living this verse, you know, imagine what happened if he was married and he had children. And I'm sure he had hundreds of servants. Imagine when he came home with Jesus and he got right. Sins forgiven. Restitution. Fruits of repentance. I don't know if I could have just videoed what was going on in his house at that time. A changed man. Wasn't he? He was a changed man. He was a horror. And some of us, even before coming to the Lord, we were horrors. Weren't we? Was anyone a horror? Two. You must have been all really lovely like... You must have been a dream to Jesus to save you. Zacchaeus could now sing. My sins are forgiven. And now I am free. Oh, praise the Lord. My shackles are gone. My spirit is free. Hallelujah. So let's just close. I think the last verse. Answers it all tonight. Verse 9 and 10, sorry. I'll just put that's it. Verses 9 and 10, that's it. Jesus said to him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Question tonight is Are you a candidate for salvation? Are you? Are you a candidate tonight for salvation? How how does this happen? How does this happen? You know, you might be looking at this story tonight. You might be looking at the preacher. You may be looking at the life of Zacchaeus and saying to yourself, well, I'm not like him. And it's probably true. I, I don't know if there's any chief rich tax collectors amongst us tonight. I don't know if there's any self-made millionaires amongst us tonight. Although I'm looking around, I'm a little bit suspicious. And you're honest. But maybe tonight, you know, as we meet different people, some of them revenues have not been gained honestly. But you probably sat there thinking, well, I'm not like him. But we need to be humble tonight because it isn't an issue of lifestyle. It's an issue of nature, isn't it? Because since the fall of our parents in the Garden of Eden, I think King David nailed our condition. He said this in Psalm 51, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Because our first parents fell. I, I always said everybody, you know, I, I had a little run with these family trees with people, you know. And you know, Easton's have loads of magazines on family tree, and it costs a fortune. You know, I deliver DNA samples, you know, because people are trying to find their way back to to someone important. And I'm an O'Neill, and someone said, my, my relations are the kings of Ireland. <laughs> but I don't take any of that in, because I'm only related to the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. I work for the queen, but I serve the king. And I often say to them, oh, they say, well, we've just got back to the 16th century in Cork, and uh, we're not sure, really, where we go back from there. And I say, is that right? Uh, Let me tell you something. I can save you an awful lot of money. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, I can take you right back to your first parents. 
And I've even got the names. Are you with me? Because, you see, that's the root of the problem, isn't it? It isn't our lifestyle. It's our nature. And Romans 5.12 says, and I'm only using these scriptures tonight because it's the scriptures we use for our open air. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans 5.12 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even when God established the Ten Commandments, it was proven that we could not keep them. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the commandments were only really a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the convictors of sin. And we know that. You know, we can just go around the room very quickly tonight and you know, often we would say to people, you know, have you ever stolen anything? You know, you know the drift. And they say, oh, no, we've never stolen anything. Uh, no, I'm clean living and everything. Uh, you not took any pens from the office, home. Well, you know, we, a few little bits. So that does make you a thief, doesn't it? Have you ever looked at a woman? Have you ever looked at a woman, even the thought of adultery? Jesus said, if you look at a woman that lustfully it's adultery. Have you ever done that? And the young lads love that one, you know. The young lads say, who hasn't? No, I'm asking you. Have you done that? Well, I, well, the Bible calls you an adulterer. You see, and then the law begins to work within the heart convicting. And, you know, jokingly tonight, I looked at the top three, the, the policeman with the speed camera, the traffic warden, and the taxman. But in essence, what are all those three things doing? They're revealing the possibility of breaking the law. Aren't they? So tonight, folks, they shouldn't be the most hated. They should be the most respected. Because what they're saying is, if you live within the parameters of a law, a civil law, then you're not going to receive any fines if you break it. Do you understand what I'm saying? In a way, the commandments are like that. If we were to live within the confines of that, but we found already tonight that no one can keep the law. So left in that condition, no matter how good we are, we're deemed to perish in hell. And yet what is the remedy? For God commended his own love towards us. In that what? While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, John 3.16, that much loved verse. So tonight, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you appropriate this free gift of salvation? Well, the answer is by responding. We have to do something. You might uh, let me just finish this here. So as we just turn our final scripture tonight, Romans five, Romans ten. There is a response that's necessary. As we come to the Lord. I was just thinking about some things that just broke my heart recently, just as a close, but you know that time in the Bible when people are starting to think there's something better than others? You remember that scripture where it says in the Tower of Siloam, there was 18 people killed when the tower fell on them? And those people were trying to say, is it because they were sinners? 
than us. It's an awful thing, isn't it, to think that if someone died in such a terrible tragedy, that it's because of sin. You know the Grenfell Tower that lit up that night? You know there was 81 souls lost there? It's a modern parable. You know, people look at all those Filipinos in there that were full, full of Filipinos in some of them rooms, and people say they were trash-like. Is that, we are better than them? It's a modern parable. It's never changed, you see. And then just last week in Genoa, in Italy, you know, that bridge collapsed. Just today I checked, there's 41 people perished in that. Some people would look at that and go, some of them won't be missed. Do you understand the heart of man is deceitfully wicked? And do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said these words. That's not the issue, he said in modern English. You need to repent. See, repentance is always the key to salvation. See, if you've never repented of sin, you've missed the most important aspect of salvation. Repentance is so important because repentance is the complete turning around the other way from sin, isn't it? It's not a continuation of those habits and those things that have, be, you know, have, have besought your life for all those years. It's a complete turning around. I think it's powerful. But this is a response after repentance. And Paul puts it like this, that if you shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13. For whosoever. Who's the whosoever? That's everyone in this place tonight. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So just as we close the reading tonight, let us just consider the Lord Jesus Christ just for a moment that as he went into the city of Jericho, he already had in his mind Zacchaeus. He knew his name. And tonight, he knows all your names. If you're not saved in here tonight, he already knows your name. Whether he's going to speak that name tonight is another thing. But here's an opportunity tonight to confess the name of the Lord and be saved.